You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. So we're taking a break from 1 John this morning. I didn't know what if I was going to or not. And sometimes, you know, pastors don't stop and pause for, for Christmas. They'll just keep going and stuff. And, and then... Uh, then I, I, something, I, I got something, so you're getting your Christmas sermon. So. <laughs> no, you're getting your Christmas sermon, which is today Christmas Sunday or is next Sunday Christmas Sunday? Yeah, see, that's the debate. I was like, when do I do it? This Sunday or night? It's, it's today. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, oh okay. Wow. <laughs> News to me. No, <laughs> no, I'm just, no. So anyway, uh, and you know, I, I do something a little, uh, I usually do, do things differently. <laughs> and and uh, we've gone through genealogies before and we spent two or three weeks, you know, at Christmas doing that and doing, I, I want to do something a little different uh, th- this year. So uh there, there's a lot of things we hear this time of year, right? Tis the season. Jesus is the reason for the, the season. Keep Christ in Christmas, right? Uh, and then getting into the spirit of, right? Where's your Christmas spirit and stuff? And uh, uh, by the way, um, you don't have to be offended if you see Xmas because X in Greek is Christ. <laughs> so joke's on them. <laughs> huh? Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, but we have all these debates then too, right? On the actual date of Christ's birth, whether or not trees, other traditions are paid. Right now, big. It's a big thing that's going on. All these Christians are like giving up Christmas, you know, giving up their trees because it's pagan. And say they say it's pagan and they're like, it's like, come on. <laughs> Sorry if you guys think it's pagan. <laughs> Um, but the Hebrew root people and stuff like that. There are a lot of people are getting influenced by this now. And then so TikTok's crazy I'm going back and forth on this, these things. It's, it's fun, though, uh, if you like that type of stuff. But, you know, also we have just the regular. We spend a lot of money. We get busy. People get stressed out. Sometimes we're stretched too thin. Uh, too many, you say yes to too many things, too many get togethers uh, or parties, maybe not so much in the last almost two years now because of the pandemic and stuff. But someone, you know, someone ends up sending you a Christmas card and you didn't have them on your list. And so now you panic and, and you're like, oh, I've got to send them one now, too. So a lot, sadly, a lot of people, you know, they, they end up dreading this time of year. Uh, because of all the, the busyness and it gets chaotic, you know, and it's, oh, it's commercialized and all that as well. So, let, you know, you should know I'm not against the trees. We're not against presents. I love presents. Uh, <laughs> decorations. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, we love it, especially now that we have, you know, we have a son. It's just like totally, you know, it's all new excitement that goes with it. Our house is decorated inside and out. Uh, traditions are fun. We do Advent. You know, uh, he's excited to do that every day. Uh, so that's fun. And we tell the Christmas story, you know, uh, the biblical Christmas story uh, and all that. I, I, I think it, all that stuff's good. I'm not against any of that. Okay, but, but we also have to, if we're just being honest, let's face it, none of it has to do with Jesus, right? It doesn't. So <laughs> it doesn't. It really, it, it's not. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to be mean. I just, because I stated that I do all that stuff too, you know? We go along and do it. I mean, we're, it's what we do, right? Uh, so that's okay. So if Jesus is the reason, and he is, and if there is a so-called Christmas spirit, I would say, I started to think about it, it's posture, right? It's a Christmas posture. Is there an actual posture to be had, then what is it, right? And the, so the best thing you can do when you have a question like that is you go, you go to your Bible and look, right? That's what I like to do. So I thought, let's look at the one person in human history who had the most unique, intimate relationship with Jesus that no other person has ever known, and it would be his mother, his earthly mother, right? So I, all we're going to look at is, her, is her, her psalm, her song, you know? It's Luke 1, and... It starts in 46, and we'll read it all in a moment. But I thought it's a great example. So in Luke 1, 46 and 48, she, Mary breaks out into this psalm or a song. I could just imagine if she was just saying, uh, you know, I don't know. It, did she say it in words or did she sing it? Acapulco style. I don't know. <laughs> But it said, it starts with, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. This is her response to the announcement of Jesus' birth, that she was going to be carrying the Savior. It's a response of worship. It's praise, adoration, and gratitude. All right, it's her song of praise. It's a psalm to God for the coming of the Christ. So I'm suggesting this morning that the posture of one's heart during this time, all the time actually, the so-called Christmas spirit is one of worship. All right, Christmas is a time of worship. It's a time of praise as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. What, what's it matter if he wasn't born on December 25th? It doesn't matter. <laughs> that worship is an attitude okay attitude is posture right it's the most selfless thing that we do and when we are filled with awe when we have reverence gratitude thankfulness at what god has done this is the result all right so we'll, let's look at this uh, song in, in its full context my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So this is known as the hymn of the incarnation. It's a worship song. Mary knew that she was to be the mother of of the Son of God, right? So the song, Mary, did you know? Yes, she did. (laughs) She did. She did know. And she had had been told that he would be called, uh, he would be great. He would be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord would give him the throne of his father, David. He would reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom would have no end. So what, what we have in this song speaks of the significance and the meaning of worship, all right? The posture of Christmas. And the first thing taught is the attitude. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, all right? Soul and spirit, they're, they're, they, they're the same. They speak of the inner person. So it's internal. Worship is internal, She's summing up her whole inner being by saying that worship rises from the inside. It's not a performance. It's not a set of words or a set of actions. It becomes that. But it's something that is moral and mental and emotional at first. It's, it's, it's in the mind. It's in the will and the emotion, right? It sums up your whole inner being. The whole of her inner being is worshiping here. So worship comes up from inside. So it's not just coming to church. It's not singing a hymn. It's not reading words in the Bible out loud or just sitting for the sermon, okay? It's not, it's not giving in the offering. Those are potential effects, though, right, of a worshiping heart. But they don't stand alone as true worship. It's in the inner heart of adoring praise, That's the essence of true worship. It's when the soul and the spirit are overwhelmed in awe and in the fear of the Lord that becomes an eternal thing that comes out. Okay? In fact, just external worship is shallow and it's distasteful to God, actually, because it's superficial worship. It finds no place of acceptance with Him at all. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 29, 13, God said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. God's not interested in lip service. <laughs> He's not. In John 4, 24, Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Right, So the true worshiper is one whose heart is devoted, the one whose heart is overflowing, and it comes from deep down inside. Right, uh, if, if it was Old Testament language, it would be like from my bowels, like this. <laughs> right? And it goes on. So it's not just the posture of Christmas. It's of the Christian life. It goes on all the time. It's not only internal. It can be intense. <laughs> Right? To an out loud kind of, of joy. Um, oh, I'm still not used to the iPad. 
<laughs> it's intent. My soul, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. That word magnify, it means to cause to swell or to cause to grow. And the word rejoice uh, is to be overjoyed. So it, even... It's even referred in some uses, as I just said, this out loud kind of joy, an exuberant kind of joy that is uncontained. Uh, those are the terms that are used when you look at this in the Greek, spontaneous, exuberant joy, bursts that just comes out in worship. So you have two components of true worship. It's internal. It rises from the heart um, and, uh, or from what the, the heart comprehends. And it, and it rises uh, from what the mind understands. And the two work together. And when Mary came, came to grips with what's going on, it literally captured her. It captured her mind. Her mind transferred it then into her emotions, and it got every part of her inner being moving and just erupted out into this song. All right? That, that's stuff that worship is made of. But it starts with the revelation in the mind. Worship, then, is the right attitude, okay? Internal, intense, right attitude. David put it this way, you desire truth in the inward parts, okay? Which is to say in the heart. Isaiah said the same thing, Isaiah 1, uh, 11 through 13. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed, uh, fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more uh, futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Right? There's another, another way of saying that you have to worship him from the heart. And Mary did that. All known sin must be confessed to do that as well. And the focus of everything must be on the Lord. Also, my soul magnifies as a continuous action. All right? It's in the present tense. It wasn't just related to that moment. It goes on and on. It's, it, it isn't that, that you rejoice just when you're saved. It's that you started rejoicing then and now you'll never stop. All right? In the fluctuation of circumstances or situations in your life do not impact your worship. They don't affect it. They don't have anything to do with it because it's supposed to flow uninterrupted. So it's not really difficult for one who is a true worshiper from the heart uh, to be able to fulfill the words of the Apostle Paul and everything give thanks, right? Now, you understand it doesn't have to be all like, whoa, when I'm saying that. Just a thankful, a humble heart, gratitude. The true worship becomes a way of life because it's fixed on something that never changes. God never changes, Right? Christ never changes. Salvation never changes. His promise never changes. His covenant never changes. So our future never changes in that. If worship is something for you that just happens on a Sunday morning, if you think it is just the music or a special event in your life, then you're missing out on it. You're not getting it. 
Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not, you know, beating the sheep, <laughs> as they say. But if worship only happens when things are good, like bills are paid, money's in the bank, stomach's full, you got what you want. If worship's connected to only that, then you, you missed it. You've totally missed it because true worship is unaffected by those things. It doesn't, it doesn't rise. It doesn't fall. It's this constant praise that comes from deep within you because that which is spiritually true is unchanging. Job, Job was a true worshiper. He worshiped God in the midst of worst, <laughs> worst circumstances uh, we could imagine. Of course, we always talk about Job. Job 1, 20, 21, it says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Worship is not affected by what goes on in life. Right? When you begin to ebb and flow in your attitude, your demeanor and your joy comes and goes then it's because you've attached it to something else or mainly probably you've attached it to yourself <laughs> or another priority than the unchanging work of God and the unchanging presence of, of Christ. You've attached your joy to the changing circumstances of your life, which means your focus isn't on him. Your focus is on you. So that leads me to my fourth point that taught, is taught by Mary that worship is humble. True worship, it only comes from a humble heart. A humble heart is a, a heart that has no thought for itself. Pride is the worship of self, and that's what it is. It competes with God. It has no room in our lives. Humility is being so focused on God that what may or may not be yours is of little consequence or concern. You don't focus on yourself. You're not the issue. God doesn't like the pride. He, he hates the proud, the Bible says. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Anyone who comes to worship comes in humility because that's being lost in God. That means that you're not the issue. You're not an issue. Mary showed that humility. Uh, she said, for he, he has looked on the humble estate of a servant. And for behold, from, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So Mary called herself uh, his servant, a maidservant. And the, the thing that, that strikes Mary about this whole deal is that it's, she can't comprehend it, I don't think. <laughs> right? It's incomprehensible that God would have such a regard for a humble, common girl. That's what's amazing. She doesn't say anything about herself, like bragging, you know. Spontaneously, she just bursts forth, my soul exalts, exalts the Lord. She doesn't have a thought like, well, yeah. <laughs> I do know a lot of women who aren't as godly as me, right? That was not her, her reaction. Her immediate thought was directed towards God. It was directed heavenward. And that's the kind of attitude out of which worship rises, and if she does glance at herself for only a brief moment, it's only to wonder how she could have ever been noticed by God. How, how did he notice me? How could God have ever known me, cared about me, or thought about me in any sense that would be suitable for this task? 
How would God have ever concluded that I'm the one to be favored? How could God have been well pleased with me? Why me? Right? You see, it's it's a it's characteristic of hum, of humility that it has no thought for itself, and that and that's surprised them by any uh, commendation, if not shocked. When she says that God regarded her low estate, literally, she she uses a term that means that she was in a humiliated state of being and that she was a nobody. She was nobody socially. She was nobody culturally. She was just a handmaid. She was capable of nothing and nothing or worthy of nothing. A simple wife of this carpenter, an unlikely mother of God. Now, we're sure she was a godly woman, but you know something about the pure and the godly? They never see themselves that way, right? Humility is at the heart of worship. It's a sense of unworthiness. It's a sense of sinfulness. It's a lack of qualification for anything, for any blessing, for any goodness, any gift of God. And when it comes, you're overwhelmed in a, in a sense of awe. So worship is internal, it's intense, it's habitual, it's, it's humble. It's a, a deep, heartfelt, inner spring of intense gratitude and joy that, that bursts forth habitually from a humble soul who knows uh, it's not worthy. That's worship. That's my take on the Christmas spirit, right? And the reason then is the object. The object of worship is God, all the glory goes to him. All the honor goes to him. All the worship then goes to him. Worship is very central in that sense. Very simple. Very focused. One dimensional. We worship God. All right? Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Worship is limited to one being in the universe. Right? It's God. <laughs> Mary knew it. So she worship, worships God. And he is called, he's called God our Savior a number of times in, in the Bible, in 1 Timothy and Titus. And God is a saving God. He sent a son into the world to save us from our sin. He was manifested to save us and to deliver us from sin and from death. So the object is God who is Savior. The spirit then of worship is, again, internal, intense, habitual, and humble. And for that is the attitude of it and the object is God who saves and it's all because of the cause it's what God has done right Mary says for for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and that's where it starts that's where worship starts that an absolutely holy God would do this for sinful me right Mary knew she was a sinner. She knew God was holy. She knew she needed a Savior, and she was worshiping because the Savior had come or was going to come. And she knew that that meant her sins would be dealt with. So like she, like everybody else who saved from their sins, owes all the sacrifice of Jesus, right? O owes it all to the sacrifice of Jesus. She offered the soul, felt praise, because the Redeemer was coming, the one who would bear her sin, the one who would fill the sacrificial imagery. That's where the worship started then. That's what motivates it. That's what causes it. And when you personally experience the saving reality of Jesus. Her whole life, 
She never became an earthly queen, right? Although she, though she was the mother of God, she maintained the same social status. She had the same friends. She even had to, to be given over to John the Apostle to be cared for because she needed someone to take care of her after Jesus uh, ascended to the Father. Her social status never changed, but her spiritual status, that's what changed. Just like all who ever believed before and after Christ, his death was death for her sin. And so she knew it. She knew the Redeemer was coming. Her praise comes out of pure gratitude for salvation. And that's where it always starts. It, it has to start with what God has done for you. Anything less is sort of uh, it's meaningless and superficial. So what about Christmas then? Right? The spirit, the reason, the posture, worship, right? Worship, the attitude, internal, intense, habitual, showing humility to the object and cause, which is God and God alone. It's worship and nothing more. It's nothing less. It's focused on him. So let us come and adore him, all right?